Welcome to episode 180 of Crack the Customer Code, where Jeannie and Adam are fanning the flames of the customer service revolution. It's time to start a revolution. We're talking about a customer service revolution today with one of the authorities on customer service, John DeJulius. Yes, viva la revolucion. <laughs> wait, wait, this podcast will be completely in Spanish. Oh, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I won't be able to keep up. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have very, a very few uh, very few deep insights I'll be able to share as well. I could probably uh, talk to you a little bit about the bathroom and beer. and. <laughs> I'll be able to say bueno. I know. <laughs> Donde esta la biblioteca? <laughs> but uh, uh, back to our topic, which is John DeJulius. I am just a huge fan. He's just one of my inspirations in this industry. Uh, John... You know, he does the Secret Service Summit. He does all these things. He's got an amazing uh, consulting practice called the Julius Group. But what I really like is his approach and all of the different systems and sort of processes that he's created that we're going to talk about some of those on the show. And they're, they're just fantastic. They really are. And I like how he comes from this background of being an entrepreneur himself. Uh, he started with the John Roberts salons in the Cleveland area, and really they became known for their customer service. And then he went ahead and uh, created the Julius Group, which is totally focused on this revolution of customer service that we're discussing with him today. Yeah, you know, and what, what, sort of like a revival of believers, uh, right, on the podcast. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot yeah, of, we, a lot of customer service geeking out. There may be a few amens in here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think there really was one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there were more than one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the three of us really got into this topic. It's a fun one because you can really hear the passion. So I think we should go ahead and share this great conversation with our listeners. Ah, uh, si, senora. All right. International consultant and best-selling author of three customer service books. His latest book, The Customer Service Revolution, instantly hit number one on Amazon. John works with world-class companies like the Ritz-Carlton, Lexus, Starbucks, Nordstrom, Nestle, Marriott Hotels, PwC, Cheesecake Factory, Progressive Insurance, Harley-Davidson, Chick-fil-A, and many more. Those are a list of some pretty fantastic customer experience companies, aren't they, Jeannie? <laughs> I would say so. They are the gold standard. Yep. And when John isn't just talking about customer experience, he lives it. As a very successful entrepreneur of two businesses, John Robert Spa, a chain of upscale Cleveland locations, has been repeatedly named one of the top 20 salons in America and the DeJulius Group, a consulting firm focused on changing the world by creating a customer service revolution. So John will demonstrate here how he can make our customer service our single biggest competitive advantage and make price irrelevant. Welcome, John. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Excellent. We are just tickled pink that you could join us today. So thank you so much for being here with us. I'm thrilled. It's always great to be uh, doing one of these with you guys. Thank you. Well, I want to jump right in because the title of your book, I absolutely love. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you really mean by creating a customer service revolution? Well, it, it, it's something we take really seriously. Um, you know, it has a definition. It's it's a radical overthrow of conventional business mentality designed to transform what employees and customers experience. And this shift produces a culture that permeates into people's personal lives, at home, and in the community. 
which in turn provides the businesses with higher sales, morale, and brand loyalty, thus making price irrelevant. So I know that's a mouthful, but it's just something that, that we really think you know, uh, has legs and, and, and just affects people in so many different ways than just that, that, uh, 10 second interaction. I totally agree. I love the idea of overthrowing kind of the business as usual mentality, because that's really what it takes. It does. Absolutely. And all the revolutionary companies, you know, did that. Uh, you know, I, I love to say like, you know, Uber and, 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 you know, Starbucks and Apple in, in their day when they, where they, they didn't do focus groups. Uh, they didn't, you know, just one up. I mean, they wrecked it, they disrupted it. And I mean, if you think about it, if I would have asked, you know, uh, you know, the three of us 10 years ago, what we wanted in a, uh, a cab driving experience, <laughs> um, none of us would have said, oh, I'd like to be able to walk on any street corner anywhere and have a random unmarked car or a guy not <laughs> I mean, all, all Uber is is systematized hitchhiking, but but it's working. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow, I've never heard it described that way. <laughs> Neither have I, but I will never think of it any other way now. <laughs> Love it. Well, you know, Jeannie uh, and I discuss purpose a lot on the podcast. And one of the things I love about your message and what you teach is you really define how to create a customer service vision. So can you tell us a little bit about how you define vision and how it's different maybe from something like an organization's mission? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and, and so one of my favorite quotes is the currency for millennials is purpose. And I, I really think it's it's weak leadership when they kind of diss on the millennials. And, you know, I, I think the millennials are the greatest generation as far as a workforce ever, as long as you tie their their jobs and their roles and their impact to the purpose. Um, you know, and 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 so you know mission statements are 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 great. They're they're who we want to be. Right when we grow up in in the next five years, we want to be the number one financial institution in the world. That's great. Um, purposes are are, are why, um, but neither of them are actionable, um, and that's where we got to create. So so if, if we work at a bank and, and and our mission is to be the number one financial institution in America, that doesn't tell the teller, um, the loan officer. Uh, you know, w what they're supposed to do today on every interaction. And that's what a, a customer service vision statement is. It's, it's the, you know, true underlying value of what each of every person on our team brings to the customer that provides a meaningful purpose. So basically it, it's, it's, you know, to get them to want to get up and get out of bed and, and race to work because they see their impact, but it's more the micro. Um, I, I think too many times we're focused on the outcome so if I'm a dentist and I feel I can get your tooth to stop hurting, you'll be happy. If uh, we're a fine uh, steakhouse and I cook your, your, your steak, you know, medium, medium rare, you'll be happy. But, but we know that that isn't, you know, we expect any qualified dentist to, you know, stop our tooth from hurting and any expensive steakhouse to prepare our steak. And, and that's the outcome. That's the result. And, and that's why, you know, the service vision helps us focus on the, the micro interaction, providing a positive experience on every interaction, whether it be face to face, click to click 
or ear to ear. So the best definition, you know, for a service vision is it, it has to match uh, moat, M-O-A-T. It has to be measurable. It has to be observable. It has to be actionable and it has to be trainable. So, you know, if, if, if uh, you know, our, um, you know, our, if our vision was to enhance the quality of lives around us, that's great but it's not measurable, observable. I want someone to be able to listen to a phone call, watch an interaction, read an email and say yes or no. And you can't say yes or no to enhance the quality of lives around us. So you want to make it about, you know, that it's achievable in a 10 second interaction, a 30 minute meeting, whatever that your, your interactions might be from transferring the call to, you know, to, to having a, a one hour, you know, conference meeting or, or whatever that might be. So, so that's really where, you know, what a customer service vision statement is to achieve that it almost causes a burden, you know, if you're going to work here. Before you pick up the phone, before you greet the next customer, before you return the next email, you have to remember that, you know, uh, owning the moment, right? Creating inspired moments, something about creating a positive experience, every interaction, whatever those might be, um, is your burden that you can't just say, man, I nailed it with my third client, you know, not so much with the first, <laughs> second and fourth, that you got to do it every time because, because, you know, the companies that, you know, are doing this, they're charging for it, right? I mean, you know, how much yeah. is a good cup of coffee really supposed to cost? Um, <laughs> definitely not 450, right? <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if you do all the other stuff, it, it could be a bargain. Well, I, I'm not sure I've ever met somebody who loves micro interactions quite as much as I do, <laughs> but I think I've met my match. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, uh, but one of the things... Uh, Jeannie, I call it carpe momento, right? Oh, nice. We got to see the moments and the outcomes take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to say it. And so I'm curious because as we said in your introduction, you've been an entrepreneur more than once. And so what are the ways that you communicate your customer service vision within your own organizations? Is that something you can share with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you borrow... Uh, or if you take something from one person or company, it's called plagiarism. If you take 50, <laughs> it's called, if you take 50, it's called research. And exactly. I'm, just, I'm, I'm the greatest researcher there is. So, you know, very few are my ideas, but it's from what the, the other world-class companies do. But the first thing is how we get the, the, the service vision comes from, we create a day in the life of a customer. And, and, and we create, you know, what, what's our, 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 our average customer going through today, both uh, personally and professionally with the stress and all that and kids and, uh, you know, finances and, you know, uh, rush hour, all the, the things that could be going. And then also the second part of that day in the life of a customer is is what is happening where our expertise can come to the rescue. So, so once we can have empathy and compassion for what's happening in the day in the life of the customer, then it makes the service vision obvious. You know, that's why they need that positive interaction through expertise, emotional connection and, and whatever those pillars may be. So once we have it, you know, and, and this is a great question because creating something is the easy part, launching it you know, at a, an annual event or however company is, is easy, right? I mean, you know, fireworks displays great, but it, it, <laughs> it's still alive. 
six months later, 18 months later, and that you could walk in and everyone knows it and is living it and, and, and doing it. So that's, that's really the, you know, where the rubber meets the road. So, um, you know, clients like Starbucks, if you go into any Starbucks in the world, they have the green apron on. And if you ask them to turn over the inside of their green apron, that's facing them. That's where their customer service vision statement is. And it's not for us, the guests, the public to see it's for them. So we're constantly advertising it to our employees. It's not on our website. It's not supposed to be, you know, for anyone else but our employees to see and, and live. And, you know, so it's, it's everything from mouse pads to, you know, if you work in an office, it, it could be, uh, you know, around your, your monitor to your key or, or, or keychain, you know, just there's so many different hats. Domino's has their customer service vision statement underneath the bill of their Domino's hats. Um, so it's just, you know, really good, you know, uh, advertising internally. And then there's ways to, you know, certify that they've been trained and that they know it and they have to know it. Mm -hmm. So you talk a lot about that. You also discuss something that I think we both find really fascinating because Adam and I talk a lot about the different ways that you can measure how are folks doing with customer service and customer experience. And one of the acronyms that comes up is CSAT, which usually means the measure of customer satisfaction. But you have your own version of CSAT, which we really both adore, and that's the Company Service Aptitude Test. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you can evaluate the service aptitude at that organizational level. So the CSAT, as you said, is the company service aptitude. And it's a, it's a self-test that, you know, managers and leaders of companies, you know, can take and take as often as they like. And there's no charge. And the more, the, the better. And um, it's based on our methodology, the DeJulius Group's methodology of the 10 commandments of being a world-class customer service company. So the first commandment is, you know, creating a customer service vision statement. And that is all about, you know, so it'll ask you, do you have a, a clear and concise customer service vision statement, you know, that everyone knows? And then you answer, you know, not at all or totally disagree to somewhat to totally agree. And then, you know, each one of them you, you, you answer. And as soon as you're, you complete the test and it's probably like, you know, 15 minutes, you, you get a, a report back that says overall your company is level three average one to five. Um, and then it breaks down each commandment. So it's service vision, you're below average world-class internal culture. You might be above average. So, so the, the real power with this is it, it lets you know where your weaknesses are and where you can work on. Um, but I've even done this with my team and, it, and it's, it's really humbling. Um, we'll, we'll take the test and, and then we'll, you know, break down each question and we'll say, all right, what did everyone put for, you know, the, the second commandment, third question. And, you know, that's when it's really, you'll, you know, I'm fine with it. If, if some people put a, a, a you know, a, a, you have five answers, one is the worst and five is the best. And so, if, you know, if Jeannie puts a four and Adam puts a three, okay, Jeannie might be a little bit more optimistic than Adam on that answer. Never. But <laughs> in general, that is a very true statement. Never. <laughs> but it's when Jeannie puts a five and Adam puts a one, the farthest apart you could be someone is, 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 is making an assumption that's completely wrong. And more than, you know, a half a dozen questions, 
the same leaders with the same company answering the same questions were that far apart. And I was one of them. You know, I put, oh, God, we do that every time we interview an employee. And the HR person was in the room and says, John, I've been doing this for five years. We've never done that. I'm like, what? You know, so <laughs> it helps, you know, to also get everyone on the same page because, you know, I thought we've always been doing that or, you know, you know, sometimes I was wrong in a, in a positive way thinking I didn't know we did that. But, you know, it, it really helps you find out, you know, where assumptions are and, and, you know, it, it really helps you then create a plan for the next quarter of what we should be focusing on. Then we retake the test and hopefully we see, uh, you know, the numbers are moving north. That's I mean, it's a, it just sounds like such a great tool and such a way. I, I like having a way to get insights where you can sort of apply a metric to it. But then it's, you know, the, the metric is where you start and then you dig into sort of the qualitative ideas, which so that sounds really powerful. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you, this is a personal thing. Now, just let the audience know, I've been to two, I think two of your secret service summits, and it's just a fantastic. So I've been exposed to your content for years. And one of the things I've always loved, felt a kindred connection with you on is that we both have a background, not only in retail, but in the spa side of it. And you know, nothing's quite like retail when it comes to customer service. So I'd like to know what's one of the toughest lessons you learned. And maybe it was from the consulting side. Maybe it's from your other business. But I'm curious, what one of the, one of the toughest lessons you've learned uh, in customer service? You know, I, I, I think... That it, that it's 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 from being an entrepreneur, and and I really don't think it's any different from any industry. Um, I think that it's that that you just think it's common sense, and that you know the the you know if you ask you know most entrepreneurs what's the secret, well, well hire nice people, you know, and <laughs> and, and put it up. And, and, you know, there's a lot of nice people that don't have the service aptitude that they need and it's not their fault. And, uh, you know, a service aptitude, you know, calling a, a soft skill is, is, is an oxymoron. Um, it is an acquired skill. And, and so if you think about, you know, all of us growing up were, you know, typically most of us, I should say, did not, you know, drive a Mercedes Benz when we turned 16 and have that type of experience with with that buying and, and service, uh, uh, you know, uh, process experiences. Um, we weren't flying first class growing up. We weren't staying at five star resorts growing up. We weren't getting one hundred and fifty dollar haircuts growing up. Yet every manager, leader, any entrepreneur I've ever worked for, you know, would throw me out there train me on the technical side. Here's the product knowledge and here's how you ring up a gift card versus, you know, cash versus this and all that and order and, you know, all the, the processes. Um, and, but would just, you know, assume that, you know, the, 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 uh, the hospitality side was common sense and they would say, you know, oh, we're customer first, always go above and beyond. Well, at 19, 21, 25, you know, that means 20 different things to 20 different 19, 21 or 25 year olds. And, you know, so I think that the, the biggest thing is, you know, it's not the employee's responsibility to have high service aptitude. It's the companies to give it to them. Just like we wouldn't let, you know, someone who wasn't a CPA work on, you know, clients, you know, the year end taxes, or we wouldn't let, you know, uh, someone who wasn't, you know, licensed to repair, you know, engines of pie, uh, uh, airplanes, 
go work on an airplane, you know, go work on an airplane. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, so we have to have certification um, for our employees before they're allowed to interact with the, the our public, our, our customers, um, where they have to pass out. I mean, it's just, it's not common sense. Service aptitude comes from three places. Um, people's previous life experiences, which, you know, I just demonstrated that our, 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 our service aptitude is defined by our life experiences. Um, the second place is previous work experience. Uh, unless your business has a direct pipeline to former, you know, Disney employees and Ritz Carlton, <laughs> which none of us do. That means your existing and, 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 and future work staff it has worked somewhere else and really likely wasn't a world-class company. And so they worked for someone who was paranoid and suspicious and said, look at Adam, it's your job not to let customers take advantage of us. And you're like, okay, well then you come work for me and, and you're treating our platinum VIP client like he's a crook. <laughs> and it's, it's, not, it's not Adam's fault. I mean, he did what he was told. So we can't control the first two previous life experiences and, and, and previous work experiences. The only one we can control is the third one, and that's our current work experiences. And what I mean by that is the training. And I always like to say, you know, if, if you were to hire me tomorrow to do anything, answer phones, sweep floors, whatever it is, how much training would you give me before I was allowed to interact with, with the public? And, and, you know, some people say 48 hours, some people say two weeks. Great. Now of that, those hours, how much is this operational technical and how much is this soft skill and building a relationship and all the things, you know, you, you the non-negotiables and typically it's, you know, 98% to hundred percent technical. And you just throw some platitudes at me that really don't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then I go disappoint and, you know, you're disappointed in me. And, and, you know, so I think that's the, and that, that came from stepping on my own landmines that, you know, when we started growing and we couldn't be next to everyone and then we couldn't believe that, you know, you know, uh, you know, my, my client, my, my employee, you know, charge Jeannie for something. I'm like, you know, why would you charge her for that? And, and you know, they'd say, well, cause John, our policy says, <laughs> and then I wasn't anymore. The employee was right. You know, our policy does say that an employee will never go against policy. You know, they'll get in trouble. So I had to change my, you know, that we have guidelines. We don't have policies. And, you know, mm -hmm. and most of the time when an employee makes a mistake, they're trying, they're, 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 they have the best interest of the company. And we have to teach our employees to be naive, not paranoid. You know, I, you know, I'm okay with, you know, you know, doing too much for the customer. So, I mean, that was a long answer, but it was painful to find out that not everyone thought like, like I do now, but I did think like they do, you know, 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. First of all, you could just pretty much add an amen to that whole answer. <laughs> it's truly, and it's funny, I think you'll like this because I'm actually in Orlando. So we did have the opportunity to, uh, when we were in retail, to hire ex-Disney employees. And it was always, you know, it was an immediate step to the next level because we knew they had had the training, right? Just, just exactly what you're talking about. And it didn't mean they were the right fit or there may be a reason they weren't at Disney. But yeah, it was, it's amazing that people expect that level of service from people that are just entering the workforce and they are not prepared and you want them to be the face of your company. So yeah, co completely agree with all that.
Can I can I ask you guys a question? Is that allowed? Sure. <laughs> Not allowed, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I love this question, and there there really is no right or wrong answer. It's an opinion. But if, if you were going to start over a business tomorrow, and it could be a hot dog stand on the corner, you know, any business, but your intention was to build a truly world class customer service company, what is more important in, in your opinion? Um, you know, A, the training and culture you bring new employees in, or B, the hiring. Now, now before you give your answer, I, 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 let me preface. Obviously, the, 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 the right answer is both, right? I mean, you know, they're, 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 you know, almost equal. But if you have to give 51% to one of those answers, A, the training and culture, or B, the hiring. It's an easy one for hiring. me. You want to get, all right. And I would say training and culture. <laughs> yeah. So I always, I, I always lean towards the, the training and hiring. And, and, I mean, I'm sorry, training and culture. And I'm not saying, you know, that we got to, you know, that means we compromise and accept B and C players and, you know, not at all. But what I, what I always lean back on is two things. One, you know, uh, Disney says this, and, and this is what made me think of it, Adam, is, is Disney, you know, I, I like to say, do you think Disney really found 50,000 people born to serve? You know, <laughs> I don't think there's 5,000 people born to serve, let alone 50. And so Disney has this quote that I love. They say, we don't put our people in Disney. We put Disney in our people. And I love that. Awesome. Right? I, I mean, I love that. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I don't want my leaders to, you know, when I go and say, why are you guys underperforming? Why are your, your customer satisfaction scores not as high? Why isn't your retention as high? Blah, blah, blah. I don't want them to have a crutch saying, well, if you give me better people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if it was just that easy, I would need leaders, you know? It's almost like, you know, 29 other coaches in the league said, in basketball said, well, if you gave me LeBron James, I'd win a championship. <laughs> Therefore, you know, it's not my fault. Well, you know, I, I don't want you to use that as an excuse. You have to make a championship team, you know, out of the, the, the players you have. So I, I think it's interesting. Again, I don't think there's there's a, a, a right or a wrong answer, um, but it, it does bring up a good debate of thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. Well, I was going to add to the thought process. So my thought process on my choice is sort of what you had alluded to earlier, which is that in the end, only a percent of the population really is sort of born to it, right? And, and, and I would even contend with what we've learned about psychology. I mean, I like to say that any anybody with a good personality and who cares about their job can be pretty good at proactive service, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the training. But the negative stuff, the reactive service, the difficult situations, we are definitely not wired as humans to, you know, take a lot of stuff uh, to be yelled at and go, thank you, sir, may I have another uh, right. So, so, right. So I think that there's a huge aspect of training, particularly when you uh, sort of break it down, even though it's important across the spectrum on the reactive side, it's, tr it's a whole nother level of importance. Well, and this is, this is interesting because one of the things that this brought to mind was an experience from my past, which is when I was a new undergrad, you know, graduate and uh, one of my first jobs, I was managing people, uh, students at a college university. And part of the challenge was I could only hire a certain segment of this already small population because they had to be work study students. And that changed how I did the whole hiring process because I knew I didn't have as much selection. So 
it actually bled into a new way to hire that was more, um, it asked more of them during the hiring process so that they were, I knew they were truly invested. And then the training was uh, expanded quite a bit because I knew, again, we were bringing in people who kind of needed the job and I couldn't pick just the people that I wanted to pick. So that makes me think like, wow, I was actually reacting to exactly what we're talking about, but I didn't really articulate it back then. But it was very much about understanding that the hiring piece and then the onboarding training piece are so critical to making sure that people are really delivering the experience and the service that we want them to. So, yeah. Going- and, I, you know, to your, to your point, Janine, the, the on, even if we do find A players, if we don't have the training to indoctrinate them into what our culture is, um, you know, they're going to suffer and, and, and we're setting them up for failure and at no fault to their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, we could talk with you all day. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a, have a lot to talk about, but I'm just going to close with one simple question. If you could just give one piece of advice to organizations out there as we're approaching 2017, you know, when you, you look at all the organizations you study and work with and you, you find the common themes of you know, sort of the, what, what the missing ingredients are, what would be the one piece of sort of generic general advice you would give? You know, I, I think that's a great question and, and it's timely. So with, with, with where we're at um, it, going from 2016 into 2017, it is obvious that we're in the middle of the you know, uh, digital revolution, right? And and there's a disruption out there, and and I love it. I think it's a great thing, and I think technology is a great thing. And and but um, what's happening is that we as 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 leaders kind of send the 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 wrong message to everyone on our staff, and and we're bragging about how we have the this great CRM system, and we have an app that will allow you know our customers to you know, do this and they can order online and we have kiosks and self checkouts and, you know, automation, automation, automation. And that, 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 that's great. That's great. But what happens is we're, we're subconsciously sending a message that it's about technology and it's not about the employee. And so it's really important. So, so my theme for 2017 is U R X, the three letters, U R X and they stand for you are the experience. And, you know, as if Adam and, and Jeannie worked for me, I'd be like, guys, I want you to understand that technology makes up 10% of our experience and you make up 90. And all the bells and whistles and the beautiful infrastructure and anything that we might have here can never build a rapport. Um, customer equity make a brilliant com- uh, a comeback from from when we drop the ball and and show empathy and compassion. But you can't. And whether that you know you know I, I just worked at a, a property last week, a five star resort, and they were having the opposite problem. They had just implemented a new system that was you know going chaotic and you know everything was you know at a standstill they couldn't book appointments and all those things and it's still taking it okay so what you're you're the experience you know your software is not the experience quit using it as a crutch and take care of the guest and make her day you know and and so it goes both ways but i really think that's important because we are investing every company heavily 
in technology, and, and but it, it can't. We can't let it get away from that. The the burden is on the employees and the experience that they deliver, and the the eye to eye, and and the carpe memento of you know owning that moment. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's Amen. awesome. You are X. I like <laughs> it. Well, you you are the podcast experience today, John. You've been awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you guys. And- Thanks so much for what you do. Um, even my my staff at the DeJulius Group follow you and, and you help them broaden their expertise. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Wow. Well, that's a that's a huge compliment. So thank yes. you very much for sharing that with us. And, you know, as people listen to this, if they want to know more about you and the DeJulius Group, how can they do that online? Where they where can they find you? Uh, the DeJuliusGroup.com. Perfect. And we will definitely have that in our show notes as well. But I just want to thank you, John. This was fantastic. And, you know, I can't wait to see where all of this goes. I think all three of us are really excited about the future of tying all of these ideas together, really helping people live a vision and and deliver exceptional experiences. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you, John. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. This was a fantastic conversation, and I can't wait for everybody to take these insights and create their own customer service revolutions throughout their own organizations. Absolutely. It was a great discussion. And yeah, every time John speaks, I, I learned something. And I really, uh, I, I, had, I had some takeaways today. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, he was speaking my language a lot around micro interactions. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he talks about discussing a, or creating a customer service vision. And really that's something any organization should do. um, In my opinion, that's one of the takeaways. 100%. I'll add one final amen and say that my vision for this moment is to wrap up this episode. (laughs) Well, we hope you had some great takeaways, too. Thanks so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.